asked me about the release of the album. And it's funny because like I I'm just now kind of figuring out how marketing works. Mm -hmm. And one of the weird things about like last time that I interviewed you, I, I feel like whenever I interview experts and things i don't want to ask for advice for myself because it's like well you you get paid to do that thing and i'm not paying you i'm just like asking you questions and so like i don't i don't want to be like getting free marketing advice from an expert if like you know you get paid for that so <laughs> and there's there's been other people that i've had on i'm like ooh, i should ask them about this for my stuff but like mm -hmm. it's not uh I feel bad about doing that because like you're already taking your time to do this. And so it's like, I'm just interested in you as a human. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but I would say that I think you could serve it as a great case study for people to learn from. And then mm -hmm. I always think I think the opposite. I think it's very generous for people to have me on the podcast. And so I love when people ask me about their own business. Sometimes though, it's gone, I wouldn't say it's never gone awry, but I've like torn apart people's websites on the podcast <laughs> and they've been like, all right, so I'm going to like literally get off the podcast and start changing this before anyone actually <laughs> who listens to the website or listens to the podcast actually changes it. So it's funny. It's great. And it's always welcome, man. So. Sure, sure. Um, and so I feel like since I don't like I've been recently getting into marketing and one of the harder mm -hmm. things, especially in the music industry nowadays, is that like it used to be that if, you've, if you're signed to a record label, they kind of handle all that stuff and the musician gets to just worry about music. Uh, but nowadays it's like the musician is also the manager, is also the booking agent, is also the marketing, is also everything. And so every musician that wants to try and do this themselves has to learn all of these things. And so yeah. it's funny because like I was planning how, okay, here's all of the lead up to the release of the album. And then like, I didn't have anything afterwards. And mm -hmm. I like, as soon as that happened, I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. I should have, <laughs> I should have kept going. Um, mm -hmm. and so the, the hard part now is like sort of figuring out, all right, now I, I have the thing. It's a product. It is available. Who wants it? <laughs> and yeah. then how do I get it to them? And so these are very basic marketing questions. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, from a musician standpoint, I was just like, I want to make music and make good music and have music that I enjoy and hopefully other people enjoy. But then I have to flip it on myself to be like, who will either pay money for this or stream it or whatever. And so another conversation that I've had with a different friend is that like putting money into music marketing is a slow return. For example, uh, the friend that I was talking to about this right. uh, works in pools. He, he does pool servicing mm -hmm. and I actually work for him as well. Um, but the the return that he gets from advertising on pools is immediate. Like right. if someone clicks on his website and is like, okay, cool. Like I need a pool service. And so even if he puts uh, $700 into the advertising on Google, he'll get a return if like, oh, I need a, a repair on my pool that ends up costing like $2,000. Right. And so it pays for itself uh 
so many more times just because that one click gave him that much of a return. Music doesn't do that. (laughs) Right. Help me. I've heard metrics before, but I forget. Um, You get paid a little bit more on Spotify if someone streams, right? And then this a similar amount for every time someone streams your music on Apple. Is that how you monetize with your music or... so I think it's actually you get paid more on Apple Music and oh, okay. Spotify is probably one of the least returns. Oh wow. Uh, I think YouTube probably has more of a return, but that's also it's hard because there's like a threshold at which mm. YouTube starts partnering with you and like working with your monetization whereas if you're already on Spotify and Apple Music, they they do give like that's already part of the infrastructure of it that mm-hmm. you get a certain amount of streams it gets back to you mm-hmm. but uh i think spotify is and since i'm sitting at a computer i might as well look this up um um let's see what spotify's pay per stream is <laughs> uh i think what do you think it is all right so i'm trying to imagine the business model side of it. So if I'm Spotify, I'm charging 10 bucks a month. Let's say I stream. I want to be conservative 200 songs. So I would just do $10 divided by 200. And then Hmm. I think that's the right math. Yeah. And then figure out how many cents that would be. That'd be my guess on the price. Uh, So Spotify pays on average Point zero zero three one eight per Sense. stream. Yes. Wow. So yeah, well dollars. Oh, so, okay. Uh, it's, it's yeah point zero zero three cents, uh, which is not very much. Sure. <laughs> and so even if you, uh, I mean, let's take a calculator to this. Uh, point zero zero three one. Eight times, let's say a million. Uh, that's uh, three thousand dollars. So if you are even popular enough on Spotify to get a million streams, it's like barely enough to pay for the recording, right? Uh, and that's a cheap recording. Uh, <laughs> mm. So yeah, that's interesting because even if you spent, like, let's say we got. Uh, someone to download your album, right? So like they go on to mm-hmm. Spotify. I just go with that example. And they we pay $2 for them to download mm-hmm. the album. And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the industry average is, but let's say it's $2. Cost per acquisition is pretty cheap, but it is kind of quote free for them because they've already paid for Spotify. So $2 mm-hmm. is fine. They have to listen to, how many times do they have to listen to it your the music like a song from you in order to pay for that <laughs> um so zero three one eight uh i don't know well so i think you would do two you would do two dollars yeah do two divided by whatever number that is yeah 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 and what would that be that is uh pretty much 629 Okay, so they have to they have to listen to 629 of your songs, or at least how many times? Yes, 
<laughs> for to pay to, for that two dollar cost per acquisition. Yes. So on on Bandcamp because my album's available on Bandcamp as well. Um, it is available for $10 and it's not just the album. There's a bonus track. There's some bonus content in there. And so it's like, I make sure that because you're paying a premium, you will have stuff that other people won't get just right. for free. Cause you can, you don't have to have a Spotify subscription to listen to the album. Uh, you can listen to it with ads, I guess, or you can go to YouTube and listen to it with ads. So like, it's all, it's all there. It's all available basically for free. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you can buy it for $10 if you really want to, but you can effectively access it for free, like all music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I think that if I was a, like a diehard fan of a certain musician, I would be willing to pay the $10. Yeah. But for me, as the average consumer, if I'm like, Oh, I heard this album's great. I don't even think to go to Bandcamp. I'm just like, I'll stream it on Spotify or Apple Music in rotation exactly. for like a little bit, you know? So I am now starting to get a better picture as to the dilemma that musicians might find themselves in as they try to like yeah. grow their own thing. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, a lot of times people talk about like having like a thousand dedicated fans. Like even if you're like super popular and let's say have like millions of followers on Spotify, whatever that really means. Uh, if at least a thousand of them buy your album every time it comes out, if at least a thousand of them uh, go to your concerts whenever you're in town, yeah. uh, then you're able to make a decent living off of being a musician. And the thing is, is like reaching that point of a thousand dedicated fans. Right. And so, uh, yes, you can have like millions of fans or at least people that like hear your Probably. stuff. But if, yeah, but if there's not that base to kind of pay for everything else, then it's still not very viable as a career. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. And I, I almost wonder if it's a numbers game. I don't, I'm so uneducated. So this is <laughs> take, please comment, like, tell me I'm wrong. But I, <laughs> I wonder from a math perspective, if it's about creating a large amount of content and not, you have sure there's a balance there, right? You like, you want to stay true to yourself. You don't want to just create things that people will just want to listen to. You want to find your unique voice and all that stuff. But I wonder if it's kind of like applying for a job that at some level, it's just a numbers game. Like you just have to apply to a lot of jobs and be really like intentional about it sometime in order to find the right job at the right place. That you really want to work out with the right boss who's got an opening, who also just happens to wake up on the good side of the bed that day and is ready to actually hire somebody. Um, because I'm sure whenever you kind of go viral, there's an element of like something's trending. I'm sure that helps a lot to gain a lot more uh, traction. That's actually something that has happened in the music industry because there are services like uh, DistroKid, which instead of, so I used CD Baby to distribute my album. Basically okay. you can't just, not anyone can just put music out on streaming platforms you have to have like a connection by which or else spotify which it already kind of is would be flooded by just anyone 
putting out garbage. And so having that paywall kind of lets there be some sort of standard. Um, but DistroKid charges a yearly subscription and you can put up as much music as you want. Hmm. And as long as you pay that subscription every year, all of your music will be available on all streaming platforms. And so oh. what what happens with that is that now a lot of artists have or a lot of labels or whatever it might be have switched to the point that it's not about necessarily releasing, you know, one really good album once every few years. It's actually more about releasing a whole bunch of singles throughout the year yeah. and having those numbers sort of add up. And that is a sort of more immediate return on the investment rather than, you know, spending three years working on a quality album only to face the numbers like everyone else is doing. And so it is just based on the streaming platform model. It is more profitable to put stuff out consistently and uh, not really worry too much about quality, but worry more about the things that allow for more streamability. And so hmm. what's that? What that has done to music is it's made it to where uh, songs don't have intros. They just jump right into the chorus. Uh, they might not even have a bridge. They might be just like, here's a chorus, here's a verse, here's a chorus, here's a verse, and another chorus. And like, that's it. Because the, the only thing that people want to hear is like the fun part. And that hmm. way it's more repeat listenable. And so that way you're you're just finding every which way to get more numbers and more streams out of people and what that does necessarily depending on your standards of music is it does sort of lessen the quality of music but creates a sort of different dynamic for which the marketplace rewards something that is just more fun and streamable so <laughs> and i wonder if it's both sides because in my head i immediately jump to well, that freaking sucks. Like that's just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 I'll tell you where I got, I ended up in my head as you were speaking, but immediately I was like, dude, that sucks. Like it's, it's ruining music. Like it's not making it like you can't have artists who really want to express themselves and make their unique contribution to the music world. And I think that's true to an extent. And then I, and this is again, uneducated opinion. Let me just remind everybody that. And then the <laughs> other side is that music is always evolving, I'm sure, right? So if this is what the marketplace wants and this is what the mainstream human wants is the fun, the immediate gratification, the dopamine release of what we're going with the music and the storyline of that, then and some level, that's a bad thing because it's, you don't have this like creative freedom. You have to pay the man basically with the streaming strategy. And then the other side is like, it's probably in some levels good too, because that's what people really want. And mm. that's what they're going to get. You know, I think the hardcore, I mean, you obviously have been here for it in a talent. I've got a friend, his name is Reese Mashaw. Um, he's awesome, but, and he doesn't, you know, it's not his career or anything, but he's an exceptional musician and he's great taste in music. He would love the really like, thought through songs. He would love the, the backstory. He would love all that stuff. I personally, I mean, I listen to music when I work out and sometimes when I'm working on stuff, but that's it. 
You know what I mean? We're just two different types of individuals. And I almost go, Hey, if if it's more fun and I enjoy it, great. Don't really think twice about it, Mm -hmm. but he's going to want that beautifully unique um, song. So it's interesting. Yeah. And that, that kind of goes back to that like thousand dedicated fans thing. And so it's like, you can either try and just spam the numbers and just get as many people listening to your stuff and the quality dips on that. Or you can have the thousand dedicated fans that want the premium content that if you sort of market to this niche, you're able to get these people like your friend that really want a a crafted emotional song with a lot of thought that goes into it. And they're more willing to pay a premium per se to have that sort of experience. But the other part is that like, now it's not just music anymore. Right. It's about the live show. It's about the social media. It's about um, nowadays live streams. And so whatever other ways that you can find find your niche audience that is dedicated and give them what they want. Um, and that's a different way of approaching that rather than going the full streaming model and just make highly accessible stuff so that more people will reach it. Um, and so one thing I recently, uh, there's a band that I really like called Sunlux and before their album release, uh, I mean, they've been on a record label for a while and they've had time to build their following and stuff like that. And so before their most recent album release, they did a, a zoom, live session thing where they streamed the album before it was released and then the people on the zoom call got to have a Q&A session with the band mm. and that was $25 to have this very unique very close experience with the band and it's very cool $25 is way more than you would pay for like you know, streaming random music on, on Spotify, but because it's this niche audience, this niche experience for fans that are very dedicated to this music, those fans were willing, including myself, were willing to pay that premium to have access to that. And they also were like, Hey, since you were a part of this, here's a download code for the album as well. And so you get the album on top of that, but you also got this cool niche experience. (laughs) Yeah, so that's really, is, I love that idea. Finding all the different stuff. So, I mean, I guess from from your point of view, seeing how the market works in that, what are some ways that for you as the way that you listen to music, what would get you to get into that niche experience to pay that premium and be dedicated as a follower of a musician? So... Two parts. The second part, uh, if I don't forget, I think is about aspirational identity in a way or the way that we define our own psyche. But the first part, I just wanted to mention this, is that I noticed that I, now that I have Spotify, Apple Music was different. For I was an Apple Music person. My wife worked at Apple for years, so we just had <laughs> Apple Music. And then I hopped on Spotify and I've noticed I follow my friends who are, I haven't talked to, some of them I haven't talked to in years, but I know mm-hmm. Like Logan, uh, Logan Stump, Elizabeth Moore, 
Um, I don't even know if that's her last name anymore, but these two people I know have like exceptional taste in music and the genre that they like is different than mine. So if I want to listen to really good music, but I don't want to like sit there and know the words to it, I listen to them all the time uh, as I'm working mm-hmm. because it'll be like, I don't know, like the Grateful Dead, like some sure. song by the Grateful Dead that I've like never heard of. Don't normally listen, listen to it, but it's amazing. Like I'm like, like mm-hmm. Sherry picked all these best songs because that's what they listen to. Paul Ratliff is another one. Shout out to you, bro. And I think that that thousand followers concept lends itself to that, that platform in that way, because I can now see who my friends are listening to and I can listen to their music because I know that I'm not, you know, I could, I could play guitar a little bit, but like, I'm really not a musician. Um, so I admire listening to other people who are connoisseurs of that. And then the flip side, I would say to me, as I look at, who I would even buy, like pay anything additional for. It probably would be Hillsong United. Um, It's like Mm -hmm. a Christian worship music uh, label, brand, band, whatever. I don't know a lot of things, (laughs) church. Right. Um, But for them, they launched an idea maybe uh, two, three years ago. And I don't know if they still do it. But I thought it was very interesting. I, I love their music. I love Hillsong Young and Free, which is like their more pop version. And then I also love their Just United, which is more like deep worship, uh, emotional music. I love both of mm. those. And so they came out with some sort of subscription box where you could like mm. get fan gear from them. And I thought that was fascinating. I almost signed up. I mean, that's the closest I've ever been to paying for anything. Yeah. Because I think for me, I love the band. I love their music. I like where it takes me emotionally. I like to be reminded of that emotion when I've like taken there or whatever. And then I think the other element to this is that I think of people with denim shirts, like denim jackets on and pins <laughs> of like their favorite bands. Yeah. And I, I assume this is the thing, but as I visualize that person, I know that that person's psychology is they want to be associated with that band and they want people to perceive them as being associated with that band often as an expression of their own uniqueness. And so I think that is possibly one way to monetize is to understand what your listeners, how they see themselves and how they want to be perceived. I don't know, Taylor. I mean, Taylor Swift obviously in so many ways, brilliant and so many ways, I'm sure it's controversial, but she knows how to sell some stuff. There's no question. And I think she and or her, her team does, or her, yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, but I will say somebody over there, maybe it's her mm. knows that when she's writing these songs, again, it could be her, it could not be her, but she is speaking aspirational identity the entire time. She's saying, Hey, this is the kind of person I am. This is the kind of person we are, whatever. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot to that. And I'm sure great musicians in it as well, that you're helping somebody else express themselves through your music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess kind of going back to me, uh, a lot of these concepts that we just talked about are things that I've uh, sort of slowly picked up over time uh, being involved in the music business. But then when it comes to applying the concepts, it's it's difficult to find a way in because it's either time or money. And so uh, if I don't have the time to make these ads and optimize them and then uh, have the money to put them up and see how they do to like analyze and then try again and 
sort of find the audience in that way. Uh, I mean, today is kind of the first time in like two weeks that I've had to like sit down and be at the computer and then I'm just doing a podcast. So it's like, it's more other work that isn't optimizing my album marketing. Sure. (laughs) But, uh, it is like, I know what I need to do and now I just have to do it. So, (laughs) but, and then there's no guarantee that that will be successful either. And so I have to keep sort of trying and figuring out what will work for my type of music or at least this album that I released. And so I, I do like what you said though, about having that sort of aspirational identity sort of thing in that's something that I haven't thought about enough about what kind of person listens to my music and what kind of person would be proud to say that they listen to my music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, but I, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. I'll go. Um, there's a girl who I grew up, I wouldn't like, I grew up with her brothers more than her. I mean, she's probably still in high school and it's been amazing that I've seen so much of her. She's decided, I don't know if she's like a full-time musician. I don't really know. I haven't talked to the family a little bit, but she, there's videos of her all the time on my social media. Uh, shout out to Ansley Davidson. If you're, if you're ever listening and, uh, I see her all the time and she's playing at bars, she's playing at local events. Um, she's posting about it all the time. And I don't know that her videos are like the highest production quality, but they sound good enough that when I finally listen, I mean, I probably saw a two dozen videos of her, you know, either that her friends posted or, or her brothers posted or her parents posted. And finally I was like, I gotta, I gotta listen to Ansley. And I like played this thing and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's like really good. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that she's to the stage or she's going to release an album. I think it's probably a little farther out, but I've been impressed that she is documenting her journey along the way. And eventually it got my attention and I was like, wow, she's not like, Oh, I'm going to go try out this thing, go play at this fun bar. She's has done this for like almost a year now and it's really impressive. And so I think if she ever releases an album, I personally will have a connection to the family. So I'll of course follow her and support her. Um, but I think that if you can, if we're talking about social media and not having enough time, I think it's learning to document the stuff that you do along the way. So yeah, I, I'm in business, I'm in entrepreneurship and marketing. My garage has nothing, I mean, besides like my home office, really has nothing to do with my business or marketing advice. But I thought, you know what? I need to really train myself to think, okay, I'm about to do something like other than what I do every single day. If I, I've decided that if I don't do this every single day, I'm going to document it. So every client that I work on every other day, something like that, I'm going to talk people through it, what I'm doing. And I think that that is going to bring some awareness. Um, I think it's going to build trust. I think it's going to build a connection. And I'm not necessarily looking for super fans, but some of them will be. I mean, there's people out there who's listened to you know a dozen podcasts that I've been on. And I'm just like, I, I would not, but I appreciate that <laughs> there are people out there. You know what I mean? Um, so I think if you can incorporate that, it's like, even if, you know, you, it sounds like you're also... Um, you're working for your friend as well as part, you know, bringing in some money as a musician, but like, even if you were documenting that, you know what I mean? Like you're like, Hey, what's up? I want to record this album later tonight. 
Uh, but today I'm here at work. I've been thinking about it. I got this new lyric. What do you think about this? Whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, cause I think it might feel, if I was you, it would feel weird. I'd be like, ah, I want, I want to be like full-time musician. I want people to see that me as that. But like, imagine if they just like with Ansley, like Ansley's out here, just like with her guitar at these little music videos. Um, whenever she gets in, like she actually does become successful at this, man, I'm be like bought in at this point, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That's a funny thing. Cause it kind of goes back to that long-term investment sort of thing that it's like, if you pay for advertising in music, like it may not, you won't see a return immediately. Uh, especially given that the money aspect of it is so long-term, but what it is, is that over time, as you invest time into uh, social media and sort of documenting this whole thing. And then if you put time into or money into marketing and not even necessarily like, yeah, you won't see a return, but just like getting the word out and being like, Hey, this is my stuff. And the more that people see it, the more keyed in that they'll be, then eventually it'll start coming back. But it is a, a long-term sort of thing, um, which depending on, I mean, most, most musicians have other jobs. Yeah. And so for example, like I, I have three jobs technically. Uh, <laughs> and so the, like the pool stuff that I'm doing was just because my other job, uh, went away, which was related to music and audio anyways, but my other job went away due to COVID. And so it's like, oh, well, I, I have to have a job somehow. And so it's like, all right, well pools, cause one of my best friends has this pool business and he needed someone uh, and it was very convenient. And I'm very lucky that that happened, but it's like, there's so many musicians that are at that same thing too. It's like, yeah, I'm a musician, but I also like, I'm a full-time barista or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm and sure so all it's of like, Nashville is like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or most of LA is like waiters that are waiting to be actors. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, but like that investment will pay off eventually if you know how to work it right. But it is, it is hard. It is exhausting because yeah, nowadays musicians have to do everything themselves. And so, yes, I'm complaining a little bit, but I also understand what I need to do. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel you. And I, here's something that sounds weird, but there's this guy in Gary V, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is his actual name, but because by Gary V and he has this guy, he's actually got a team now that just follows him around and records everything he does and then creates content on it. So I'm sure he, that he mm. does some work involved with that, but I, I would like to get to the point where somebody follows me around for five hours a day and picks out a storyline or does something interesting. And that can have somehow like create, not like a, sounds weird. I'm not looking for my own reality TV show here, but I'm looking to like, you know, build a personal brand and like all that stuff. Um, and then help yeah. people. And so I don't personally like operating a camera, <laughs> but I have to get through this <laughs> stage, you know, or like I've got to, uh, make this investment another way. So I, I say that to go back to what you said about, um, the long-term investment. If I, I think it's too soon to hire that kind of person, but like, let's say two years, I don't know that that necessarily pays off because I haven't put a lot of time and attention into building like a YouTube channel or any other sort of sure. um, long form content. So that would take 
probably a year or two before I, I see any traction on that. And that person gets paid based off of um, any sort of views or content. So uh, I feel you. You're not alone because that situation is not unique to just musicians. I think that's right. unique to, or not unique to musicians is more so just a thing. Like if you want to build a personal brand. Yeah. And, and then the, it gets easier the more it goes on, the more that you build on top of it. It's like, oh, okay, I know how to do this video stuff now. And so like, instead of it being a process that like took eight hours a week of your free time of like trying to learn how to do a thing and making those mistakes, it's like, all right, I'll just sit down and edit this video in 30 minutes. And, and so like it builds up over time, but it is, it is a slog getting there. Um, so I guess the other topic, which is kind of still in line with what we're talking about anyways, uh, but it is a bit deeper is that I wanted to talk to you about the ethics of marketing. It's a, it's a weird thing to me that, so I, I think for all of my life, I've had this sort of rebellious kind of, if like ads are evil and the sort of thing. And that like, um, well, it's funny cause in, in Spanish, I, I was born in Venezuela uh, in Spanish, the word propaganda is is what is known as commercial or advertising, but it's the same word as propaganda. Yeah. And so what is the difference between propaganda and advertising? And at what point does like, are you skirting a moral line, <laughs> if that makes sense? Yeah. So I think it's a very interesting question. And I would say that there is more marketing, like if, as a marketing guy or person, um, <laughs> stuff is always being marketed. Like you're always marketing or selling like always. Uh, I've got we, this couple friend of ours, they took some sort of selling course and they love to use it on one another. And the technique essentially goes, Hey, if I told you, I'm going to just make up an example here. Uh, Hey, if I told you, hold on, how do they, they phrase it? Hey, if I told you that there was a solution where you could have your clothes dry quicker and it was going to take up less space in our house and that you didn't have to do it most of the time, is that something you'd be interested in? And they would ask their spouse that. Their spouse would be like, yeah. well, you know what? I think I would be interested in that. Okay, great. Well, there's a solution for that. It's got a clothesline. Would you be okay if I bought a clothesline? You know, so there's, <laughs> there's always sales happening in every single relationship. Anytime you're trying to move somebody from where they're at to somewhere else or ask them to change directions. There's always selling involved. There's always marketing involved. And so I think even as we understand the music industry or as we look at the marketing industry, we're asking people to make a decision to do something. So mm -hmm. I don't think of marketing as evil because in a way I believe in the products that we're marketing. If I don't believe yeah. in the products that we're marketing, then I won't do it. Um, but I am fully trying to convince somebody that this is the right decision to buy this product or service if it's a good fit for them. Um, yeah. but I think there is plenty of fear mongling. It's like when you take something to an extreme. So if I said, Hey, if you don't buy this tire, then it's possible you might, you know, you might not have the traction that you need on roads and the snow or something like that. Yeah. That's fine you're letting people know what's at risk if they don't buy your product or service, but showing them an ad of somebody crashing and dying and just completely fear mongling them is unacceptable. 
Um, so there's the balance. There's no, I don't think there's a clear line, but I think you have to believe in your products. And I feel bad for people that try to sell stuff that they don't believe in. There is a guy who I talked to one time. He's another marketer and he worked at a guy's church in Atlanta and the church is known as being like a prosperity gospel might be the right word. So sure. it's something uh, that phrase means it's sometimes used to mean if you, you know, if you do this or you give money, uh, God, God wants to bless you financially or everything's going to be great in your life. So it's this idea that if you do this, uh, God's going to give you whatever you want. So if you give it, it's often leveraged to say, Hey, if you give our church a bunch of money, uh, God's going to give you that fourfold back, whatever. Yeah. So all that be said, this guy worked for one of those churches and he didn't work directly for the church. He worked at an agency that did marketing for that church. And he said it was a really hard thing for him to do to even be employed there. And eventually he quit because he couldn't stand that he was selling something that he did not believe in. Um, yeah. So, but I, I don't know. I think it kind of like most morality, it either comes down to what's corporately acceptable as um, a society. And mm -hmm. personally to me, it's like, what's acceptable to me? Do I believe in this product or service or not? Right. Well, it does seem like there's almost a, a meta layer of what becomes acceptable. And so it's like, if, if you as a marketing person can shift people's morality uh, and shift people's standards or shifts pe people's beliefs just by uh, sort of bludgeoning them with advertising, you are sort of capable of like, changing that perception to where even the people that might have once felt like this was amoral would then come to Consider that side. The, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the, I mean, here's a, a silly example, and this is probably why a whole bunch of regulations went into place about advertising in the first place. But like way back in the day, it was like, oh, there's this thing called halitosis and people will shun you if you have halitosis. So you should buy our product so that you don't have bad breath. Uh, halitosis isn't a real thing. They made up that term just so that they could sell this product. And so that is, I think, where the line from advertising goes into propaganda because yeah. then you are in a way selling lies in order to make that happen. Uh, yeah. Have you heard of Edward Bernays? Um, I'm not, but all he, I'm thinking about right now is North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So Edward Bernays, uh, he kind of started like modern advertising and uh, public relations. Okay. And so uh, he, he was active in like the 1920s. I think okay. he was, uh, I think he was, uh, Freud's nephew, oh. uh, like the psychologist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he, he sort of found this way of like making, like shifting culture in order to advertise things. So like something like bacon and eggs, for example, we, we perceive bacon and eggs as like, oh, breakfast. But like that, that wasn't a thing until these huge marketing campaigns yeah. from like 
the pork and uh, egg industry were like, oh, this is this is just reality now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and now we don't think twice about it. And so the things that we have in our reality have been shaped by in some ways marketing, but you could also perceive it as propaganda. And they're kind of two yeah. sides of that same coin. <laughs> it really I almost think at some level, I think you can worry about it all day. And I'm not saying that that's what we're doing, but so sure. I'm just saying if you play this path out, you can worry about it all day. And at some point you just become paralyzed. And I, I personally had to wrestle with this, right? When I went into marketing and decided this is where I want to go. It's like, man, what do I want to do here? You know what I mean? Cause like you realize how many marketing messages you're exposed to when that's what you do, because you judge every single one. Like I'll be listening to the radio yeah. and I'm like, Oh, this is garbage, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you have to almost, it's almost like chaos is going around you is what it feels like to me. And you, you have to kind of gather yourself and just go, it's okay. Cause I can't change that. You know what I mean? Um, mm. Because you're so right. I mean, in so many ways we're affected by traditional marketing. Like, I mean, even it's digital, physical, whatever, actual marketing. And then we're also, I mean, politically, I mean, that's a great example of uh, this propaganda marketing is that you've got so many people that are, even if it's just on a TV, like they're not doing marketing, but they're running a press conference. I think of the conference that the Trump administration ran. It's not, uh, it's not marketing technically, but the pretty much when the pandemic was in its height and we were all freaking out or when it was just starting, really, they had those daily press conferences and they were for 30 minutes to an hour. And it, to me, as a not really a huge Donald Trump fan, still not, but you know, if you are, it's fine. Be whoever you want. Um, but I, I kind of got to know him a little bit, at least a little bit more than I, than I knew, you know, cause I, I would listen to him for 30 minutes instead of bite-sized clips. And again, I'm just, I'm throwing out there. That was marketing. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. because now he's saying, Hey, I'm willing to sit here and talk. And it's almost like, uh, I want to say it's, uh, Roosevelt who did the fireside chats. That yeah. was also marketing. Um, mm-hmm. even though they weren't paying ads, even though they didn't like create a marketing strategy per se, they were influencing people's opinions and making their, like influencing the decisions. So I, it's tough. I think ultimately I just hope that whoever's in charge of that company cares more about people at the end of the day than profit. Sure. Um, but I think golly, you could become a conspiracy theorist, you know, when it, <laughs> like vaccines. Um, I think that is, uh, incredibly touchy subject, especially when, when you become a parent, it's like, people are crazy, like on both sides. Like they're just like, we want to fight each other. And you're like, Whoa, why can't we have a conversation? And we're just like, hash <laughs> this one out. But some, you know, there's probably some vaccine marketing, like actual ads, but just the messaging over and over again, societal pressure of either direction uh, is very fascinating as a marketing experiment as well. So, yeah, well, it's that's kind of I guess if you look at it from like purely like economic uh, marketing standpoint without the morality, like the best kind of marketing is like cultural and social change. And so it's one thing to just be like, we make a good product and this is like good. And it would be nice if you bought this product and it would make your life better. But the other like 
if you really tap into like you are socially required to have this product, like you you created yourself a monopoly at that point. And that yeah. is like everyone would want that to be like their their product to be able to sort of breach that layer of like, I mean, let's say, for example, Walmart or Amazon. Like at this point, uh, Walmart and Amazon have breached that layer to where it's like if Amazon were to shut down, like stuff would be chaos for at least a while as people tried to find some sort of alternative to like, how am I supposed to get all of my things now? If Walmart shut down, like there would be so many towns that like would not know where to get all of their stuff because Walmart has become ubiquitous with just the store and then there's no other place to obtain all their things. And then they also kind of ran out all of their competition, especially in like small towns where there's no, there's no way to compete with that. And so it's like Walmart is just the store now. And like, they don't like Walmart doesn't even have to market anymore. Really all that they are doing is sort of like damage control and public relations because you, they've already breached the layer. You know what Walmart is. Everyone Mm -hmm. knows what Walmart is. And so now it's just like, we want you to continue to like Walmart. We want to remain ubiquitous rather than just people knowing about your product. And so this idea kind of goes down to what you said about like North Korea is, um, reminds me of, uh, two books that are two sides of the same coin, 1984 and Brave New World. And in in 1984, the government was completely totalitarian and they controlled everything that people did. And if you disobeyed the government, you would be punished for it. Whereas in Brave New World, it was kind of the opposite. Uh, the government did control everything, but it wasn't really the government that enforced everything. Everyone like took all these pills and stuff to like feel nice all the time. And so if you were sort of asking too many questions, it would be people that would be like, why are you messing with my vibe, man? Yes. Like just take your pills and be happy now. And sort of like it, it's almost better to be, that level to have that social influence rather than having the sort of on top power sort of thing uh, because then the government itself doesn't actually have to do anything. They just have to con- like convince the people to enforce it themselves. <laughs> so you are reminding me of a term called differentiation. So like being mm-hmm. able to essentially separate yourself from other people and make your own decisions, which we're all in some way dependent on other people for that, but it's the ability to go, okay, my family always did this as we always do. I'm, I'm a, my family was not a huge Trump fan um, or like Republican. They're kind of in the middle, but like, let's say they were, let's just say they're like far right. Um, Mm -hmm. And they were like, we're just Republicans. We buy Chevy trucks. That's what we do. You know, if I would have to go through a process of differentiation to go, Hey, I am not, I don't have to make the same decisions as my family. And it's also not differentiation when you just go the opposite way. It's being able to separate yourself completely from that and go, what is the wise decision right here? Like, what do I need to pick or choose or what car is right for me? 
Um, like my family, we have always had a truck and I recently just sold my truck and bought an EV. Now I really want a Ford Raptor. I don't have the money to buy a brand new Ford Raptor yet <laughs> or at least pay cash for it. Um, so I bought a used like little i3, which is like a super fun little car. And I felt a social pressure from my family. I'm like, oh, you're getting rid of the truck? Literally every single one, you're going to get rid of the truck. Well, who's going to have the truck? And I'm like, y'all, <laughs> we can go. Like, if we need one in the meantime, we go to like you all. You know, it's it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. We don't need it. So it's that same thing. It's like, that's marketing. We've always had that in a way. It's like the social pressure of differentiation. And to go back to the vaccine example, I think most people in the brave new world, I think it's very eerie in this moment, which I hated that book. Not because of the way it's written. Just like, I just irked me. Cause I just was like, yeah. I so do not want to do what everybody else is doing. And I didn't want to go the opposite direction. I was just like, why are we all doing this? Did anybody ask this question? So that to me, was like a worst nightmare. And I don't want to watch the show. It's just going to make me mad. Um, and that's coming out on that new streaming channel, Peacock. But it reminds me of the, vaccine because i think that there's going to be a lot of societal pressure to get that vaccine and if you don't you're going to be perceived as not caring about people and um you know evil in a way i'm sure i'm i'm almost positive that's going to happen and so people are going to be left in this really tricky scenario where i bet most of the population actually i don't know if it's most let's call it a third the population, it's kind of iffy either way. They're like, I mean, it's a new vaccine. I'm not so sure about it. Uh, but also, I, I, I could, it could help, you know, and protect the community, herd immunity or whatever. And those people will be immediately pushed into getting the vaccines because of the societal pressure around it. They won't be able to fully differentiate themselves from the herd and go, is this the wise decision for me and my family right now? Or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So that whole thing is going to be marketing when, when the president and, uh, Andy Fauci and, you know, whoever, and then all, I guarantee you, it's going to be become, uh, not only politically charged, but celebrities don't hop on the bandwagon and everybody's going to be saying, get this vaccine. And I'm not, I'm not anti-vaccine. That's not what I'm saying, but that is an interesting experiment in, in marketing and psychology, just like you mentioned, there's going to be the societal pressure and they're going to be like, dude, just take your pills, essentially. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Why are you asking and the funny questions? Thing, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that like the the company that unlocks that and is like, we had the vaccine, like they don't even have to do any marketing. All they no. have to do is just like get it to enough channels to where it's like everyone knows this is the vaccine. And then you just have the, the market corner and that's it. And so like it's it's kind of crazy, but like something while you were talking about that, it made me think of how education in some way is also still marketing and propaganda. And so the higher education or not higher, but like college and stuff like that. Sure. Sure. But even still like the term or the phrase, uh, history is written by the victors. Mm. And so education is also a part of the greater propaganda machine, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so like the reason why the U S doesn't teach about like, Hey, we effectively genocided all the native Americans in the U S well, you don't, since public schools are a part of the government and the government doesn't want 
people to be against the government than in school, then they're not really going to teach that because it'll make the government look bad. And so history is written by the winner that is trying to maintain itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely some validity to that. Um, I know that that's, that's less true today. And I'm going to mm. explain why. Uh, and definitely true thousands of years ago. Like if you were, you could just kill an entire village and a hundred years from then, if you wrote down in a book that they just died from a pan, like a <laughs> right. thing, they just died. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. That was truth, you know? Um, so whereas today you've got, I want to be really careful about the subject because this is like not in my wheelhouse. I'm not an expert. I'm also aware that I'm a white male. So like, I fully don't understand. Um, but I, we're also just two dudes talking. Yes. And we're I'm not, talking. I don't even say an opinion. I have no opinion whatsoever about it. Well, I'm not saying I have opinion at least. Um, but like in regards to victories written by the, the winner, um, the George Floyd thing, body camp video, um, and the, the first video that was like released, it's very interesting. Um, because you have, you've got media, like not like the media, but like you've actually got like video or audio mm-hmm. of multiple events happening, you know? So what happened was incredibly sad. Um, and it's not isolated to just that, like it, this stuff happens all the time, um, which is very sad and is an issue, but at first it, it seemed worse than it. It's still bad, but it was like, it seemed awful. It seemed like, golly, mm-hmm. this dude's a freaking murderer. Like this guy's mm-hmm. kind of, evil person does this and then you watch the body cam video and it doesn't excuse him being on the ground with the guys you know uh knee on his neck at all um but you get like a different side of the picture if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and so i just think that today thanks to technology there are so many different ways like if something actually happens um i'm able to get a more complete picture of it if that makes sense you know, cause yeah, there's, yeah. there's just, it's just it. You yeah. know what I mean? Now there is some element I'm sure of like the angle, you know, like just like the two different videos, yeah. like that was one angle. And then this was a longer angle and a different angle. Um, but I think more so today facts can be facts and people can interpret them at some level. Whereas yeah. still, I know that we're still bite-sized media and we just get little bits or hot takes of, of stuff, but anyway yeah uh well while you've been shy about not being too anti-trump i am not shy about that uh i think he is probably going to be the cause of america losing its uh placement in the hierarchy of the world and america will no longer be seen as the greater power if donald trump is elected for another term but so i think that something else that has happened through this sort of greater propaganda machine is that somehow the president has managed to call into question even factual things like here's just video evidence here's everything else and rather than even rely on the video it's more like just calling into question the people that are posting the any video or any sort of evidence or any sort of anything. Mm. And so it's like, it's not even about 
the truth anymore, but it is about how you can get rid of the truth in a way. Does that make sense? Because whenever, let's say like, oh, here's this audio recording that we have of you saying like, grab them by the, yeah. And so the, but it doesn't even matter anymore. Like you would have thought that like, oh, this is clearly damning evidence. This is him that said that and all that sort of stuff. But like somehow this definitive proof of a man's misogyny, whatever, is no longer relevant Mm. or no longer a factor that plays into a judge of someone's character to many people. Yeah. And so it's like he is sort of a a master of messing with reality, if you will. And Mm -hmm. so it like reality doesn't matter anymore. It's just how you perceive it. And so it doesn't matter if the proof is definitive, if we can distort it and call into question the people that share that truth and call into question everything surrounding it, then the proof itself doesn't matter anymore because the whole foundation surrounding it has been dismantled. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I was just reading the transcript of what you're referring to. Um, just to familiarize Mm -hmm. myself with it a little bit. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, this, I hear what you're saying and it's almost, it's, it's more so prevalent because He's a ginormous personality. He's the leader of the free world in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but this happens, I feel like this this dichotomy, I think that's the right word. I need to do my research, but this dichotomy, I feel like is not isolated to him or politics. Mm-hmm. It is it is the most uh currently it's like the most public awareness, or maybe not the pinnacle. I don't want to say it's the pinnacle, but it's pretty aware. It's just in your face, you know? Yeah. Um, of something that kind of happens, which is like, you have like these fallacies and arguments, you have people who have ginormous personalities. Um, and you see people sometimes like I, when I've worked for other companies, um, I've seen people do stuff that are just ridiculous. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how the heck do you have a job here? I don't, you know I mean? I just blows my mind, but they have some like woo. They know how to work the system. They know how to work people. Mm-hmm. They know how to argue about things. And it just blows my mind that like sometimes we as humans can go, oh, that's fine. Like this is okay. And this is not, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, But yeah, politics is, it's it's unfortunate that we've become so, this is something that I heard from, again, I'm, I don't want to speak that I'm so educated on this, but some of this comes down to primaries and like voting in the primaries because most people don't vote in the primaries, but people who are like really intense on either side. And so what you end up having is like these incredibly like polarizing camps. Yeah. Um, and so there was people like on the democratic, I would say I lean a little Republican, um, but there was a girl, her name's uh, Tulsi Goddard. And I was like, dude, this is legit. Like on the mm-hmm. democratic party, I was like, listen to her like on the podcast I like followed her. Yeah, Tulsi Gabbard's great. Yeah. And I was like, dude, she's awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't agree on like all of her like stances on stuff, mm-hmm. but I was like, she seems like a really decent human. You know what I mean? Um, and she got like less than 3% of 
and the primaries. And then she didn't, she couldn't go forward, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it made me really sad because I thought, man, here's somebody who was like actually pretty decently, like, we'll try to look at something, you know, from both sides of the yeah. coin. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's marketing, politics, polarization, um, making people a villain if they're on one side or the other. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I mean, it's not like I'm trying to find some sort of definitive answer. Or know, we're just discussing anyways, but it, it is something that I was thinking about as I was like, all right, well, I have this marketing guy. What can we talking about? Or what can we yeah. be talking about? And so like the, all of these things are interconnected the way that we discuss reality and how we can engage others in our own reality is stuff that is going to be important whenever you're trying to simply sell a product and make it available so that people are aware of it and they will buy it. Or whenever we are talking about the political identities that are going to be shaping the rest of the world. And so it is, it is all interconnected, but it is, important that we all kind of at least think about it think about it a little bit more intensely so that we can really kind of see what's happening in front of us and it's like it's not that Tulsi Gabbard wasn't incredibly smart and incredibly patriotic and incredibly reasonable in all of her things it's that like reality was shaped differently by a number of different factors. And so I, I'm, I'm incredibly Andrew Yang, uh, proposing. I, I really loved Andrew Yang. And so, well, it's not like he's dead, but, (laughs) (laughs) but like that, that was a similar thing that it's like, Oh, how could someone who makes so much sense is so reasonable and uh, communicates in, in such an effective way, how could this have happened? And so it does kind of come down to the way that, we sort of parse the the messaging that is given to us and how maybe Andrew Yang or Tulsi Gabbard didn't seem like an option, not because it was their fault, but because something else is in the system that is preventing that. <laughs> I know. And I I would say that I'm... I don't know. Like why I, I hear you and I'm in no way disagree with you. And I think that sometimes the people in power continue to make like decisions and influence things that uh, seem ridiculous to me sometimes, but I also don't have the full picture. So I don't want to ever be like, you know what? Like Andrew's uh, thing on like thousand um, dollars, the universal income. Like, I think I would need to educate myself a little bit more about that mm-hmm. before I have an opinion, you know, either way. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting that like we have these people in power uh, that you just w- you just like wish you could just reset the thing <laughs> at some level and just go put some people in there that will just be reasonable and like try to make intelligent decisions. And that's not to say I'm not trying to make that a dig at our current political people. I'm not saying they're not intelligent people. Um, and I'm not saying this to be hopeless. I don't know. I don't want to like say that's where I'm at. I'm not saying we should just all throw our hands up and be like, what was us, whatever. Um, but I would rather live in like a somewhat optimistic view of it and go, you know what? I think the good guys have a chance either side. 
You know what I sure. mean? Um, yeah. But well, to go- something. Yeah. Uh, go well, something that you said, it's like, oh, I don't know enough about this thousand dollars a month thing. I would need to look into it. You are already like poised far better than most people because rather than be like, I don't know about this. I should look into it. Most people are just like, there are things about that that I don't like. And so it is therefore dismissed and there's no further discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, I, I'm not the most empathetic person. Um, I try to have empathy and try to grow that in me. Um, but I try to just think, man, what would I want? You know, mm-hmm. like what I want to, I have this like awesome idea. If I really believe this is going to help things, because I genuinely do believe that most people, most people like have this belief that they think that their thing is right. And they think mm-hmm. that this is going to be the best thing for the most people. And I think sometimes, I guess I'm frustrated because I would rather have that person in power than the person I feel like is just catering to whatever the party wants. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, so, and another interesting thing I can't help but think about in regards to our upcoming, and then I'll, I've also heard, so shout out to everybody, every other human out here. Um, <laughs> I hear that local elections matter a lot more to us everyday individuals than just the, uh, you know, presidential election. So go and vote. Let's do that. Okay. Um, however, it does feel like at some level, you have these two candidates that most people perceive as like not the best choices. Mm. Um, <laughs> and like I, an example of something that I don't want to put my stake in, like I wouldn't state this as an opinion, but this is a perception that I have is that this is a perception. Again, this is not an opinion, but it's based off of marketing to so go back to marketing yeah. is like Joe Biden's cognitive ability. I I would need to watch more long form video than just little snippets of him because there's definitely some bad snippets. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, this is rough. Like, yeah. I don't know if I can, you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just crazy. And like, that's actual marketing. You know, that's somebody's mm. making the decision to do that. And you know what? I'm sure that there's somebody who's really like pro Trump. And they really believe that that's the best thing that they can do in that moment. Like to me, morally, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel super good about that. But that person's going, I, I was going to tell you, they're going, you know what? We just need to make sure that they understand how bad of a candidate Joe Biden is. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's true or not. I just, that's the person's thinking probably. I don't think that they're like, sure. we're going to like just set these people astray on him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry to get super dark, but like, hey, this this is where conversation goes. Yeah, Uh, totally. But I guess what's one last thing on that that we can sort of wrap that up and then you can plug your stuff? (laughs) I would say mindfulness. Mm. And I'm not perfect at this. And I think that we all have room to grow in this. Like, what am I buying right now? Why am I buying it? What, you know, what is the decision to go with? Why did I go with the BMW instead of the Nissan Leaf? 
and the leap is cheaper. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's the deal? What is that? You know, why am I making this decision? I think if we can understand that, why do I feel so much energy around? Like, let's say somebody was like uh, super pro Biden or super pro Trump. Why do they feel that way? You know what I mean? Like what? Just, and it's okay to feel these ways. It's okay to buy a car. It's okay to support a candidate you believe in. But I think if we can all have more mindfulness in what we're doing and we can understand the decision-making process behind it, like, why do I want a rogue fit? Like, why do I want a concept two rower and a, yeah. you know, a rogue weight set? There's a whole, like, we literally have an area to work out in and don't need those things, but yet I still want them. And I'm just like, why yeah. do I want them? Is it really going to make my life that much better? Mm, I don't know. It's probably the ways I could spend two grand. Um, <laughs> so all of you said, I just, we could all, myself included, be mindful of what we purchase and the decisions we make and just asking ourselves, why is it that we do that? Um, so there's that. And but yeah, if you want to contact me or, uh, if you are need marketing help, um, I work with, you know, at caffeine marketing, we help small companies, um, do marketing, but if you're an entrepreneur and, and you need help, I'm also an investor. Um, and you can find me at Knox.com or Caffeine Networking. I would love to help. Heck yeah. Evan, thank you so much for doing this with me. <laughs> yeah, this is a really fun conversation. And we never knew it was going to go this way, I'm sure. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> you can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. Bloom is available now, streaming everywhere. Put it on in the background, put it on your workout playlist, show it to your friends so you can all enjoy it together. You can also buy the album and get bonus content to get a bit deep into the emotions you can feel with it. I also make music with Power Cycle, an experimental electronic trio. Our first album is completely improvised. It's called Too Many Damn Cables. It's streaming everywhere. More to come from Power Cycle in the future. To support this podcast, leave reviews, comments, tell your friends about it, and buy my music because by supporting me, you're supporting the podcast. I always end the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails, it's going to be okay, I might be wrong. <laughs>